morning to each of you. Welcome again to our service here today. It is the Sunday before Christmas, and um, that brings a lot of you here. It brings uh, some home folks back. We're glad to see you to see you again. Uh, we're thankful also for our visitors, <clears throat> and we're glad that you're here. This time of year also brings heartache. It brings sadness. It brings depression. It brings all sorts of of things that we don't like to think about, especially for those who do not know the hope of Jesus Christ. Here are some headlines, some news headlines from this morning. Two New York City cops ambushed, fatally shot in their car, and the gunman kills himself. More than 1,500 protesters against police violence shut down part of the Mall of America in Minnesota yesterday, resulting in about 25 arrests during the final weekend before Christmas as shoppers scrambled to buy gifts at one of the nation's largest shopping centers. New York police officers suspended after new video shows brutality. Supreme Court won't stop gay marriages in Florida. Prosecutors intend to seek the death penalty for a Pennsylvania mother and her boyfriend accused of beating her three-year-old son to death. Ohio Muslim woman sues over jail church attendance. Fresno, California gang member in wheelchair caught on camera shooting and killing a man. Homeowners in Ross Township, Pennsylvania, say that their neighbor, Bill Ansel, is terrorizing them year-round with his hostile, anti-Christmas spirit. These are, just, these are just the news headlines from the United States this morning. We haven't even talked about Ebola, and about Russia and the Ukraine, and about ISIS, and about Israel and Gaza, and North Korea. <clears throat> And you might ask, what is this world coming to? What in the world is going on? And I believe our text today should give us some answers. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I invite you to stand as I read Romans chapter 1, verses 18, uh, through the end of the chapter. If you're able to stand, please stand for the reading of the word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, I pray that you would bless the reading of this, your word today, that you would impress upon us, upon each of us, our terrible condition apart from you, apart from your grace and mercy. That you would impress upon us the reality of both your truth as revealed in the creation and in your Son, Jesus Christ, and also the reality of your judgment and your wrath that comes on those who reject you. So guide us as we study this uh, passage today. May you be exalted and glorified, and may we be uh, your servants. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now this text that we have just read is very pertinent to us in our day and in our time. It is the best and really the only explanation that we have for what we see happening in our world around us. For the headlines that I have already read to you, this text makes sense of it all. We see happening around us the wholesale acceptance of and approval of idolatrous, sinful perversions, and we are seeing ruthless and mindless violence. So this text explains to us what this is all about and why. But this text is also the explanation for what we discover happening within ourselves, within our own hearts. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the first half of Romans chapter 1. And the first half uh, ends there in verse 17 with this uh, statement, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous person is the one who lives by faith, that is, trusting God instead of trusting himself. And we wrestled with why that seems so hard to do. The question might even come, why is this necessary? Why must the righteous live by faith in God? And the answer begins here in the last half of Romans 1 and continues through Romans chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths uh, to prove, to demonstrate that all of us, every one of us, is unrighteous. 
apart from God. Every person's default setting is unrighteousness and under the control of sin. And so this text here begins with the word for. For the wrath of God is revealed. The righteous shall live by faith for or because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we must live by faith if we're going to be righteous precisely because by nature we are unrighteous. There is nothing we can turn to in ourselves that will change any of this. We are by nature the children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And here it says that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So if we're going to escape this wrath of God, if there's going to be any change in our situation, it will only come from God himself. It will not come from within us. We must believe him, we must trust him, and not trust ourselves. That's faith. But that is very hard for us to do. Actually, I would argue it is impossible for us to do. It is impossible for us to trust God out of our own volition or our own effort. Now, the, that case is not going to be made in the book of Romans until later in the book. But that case will be made. But let's say, suffice it to stay, say here at the beginning, we are dealing here in this requirement of righteousness before God, we are dealing with a requirement that is humanly impossible. It is only possible to be righteous as we trust in the righteousness of God. Only the mercy and grace of God himself is capable of empowering us to believe and trust in him. But what is this wrath that he writes about here? In Romans chapter 1, what is the wrath of God that is revealed? Is it the final judgment of God that we read about in the book of Revelation and other places where he consigns sinners to the pit of hell with the devil and his angels? Is that what we're talking about when we talk about the wrath of God? Or are we talking about some kind of cataclysmic destruction of people and animals and this, this earth, uh, like we find in natural disasters. Is that what the wrath of God is? Or is the wrath of God um, the ravages of disease, maybe a disease like Ebola, which is a terrible disease? Is, is that the wrath of God? Well, the wrath of God could indeed be any or all of those things, and most likely is. But the wrath referred to here in Romans chapter 1 is something that is, is not just for the far-off future. The wrath of God referred to here in Romans chapter 1 is something that is current. It's something that's happening now. It's something that is demonstrated by the headlines that I read for you a few minutes ago. This isn't just the kind of hot, furious, violent kind of, of demonstration that we sometimes think about when we think about wrath. No, this wrath is is almost cold and calculating and passive. In fact, we will see that sometimes, in fact, I believe many times, the wrath of God is actually demonstrated through the abandonment of God. So God abandons sinful man. He lets people do what they want to do without restraining them, 
And then they suffer the natural consequences. That's what we read about in Proverbs chapter 1. The rejection of God and the abandonment, abandonment of God brings about these calamities, these natural consequences for our actions. And many times this is, uh, it does result in a terrifying calamity and destruction. So this wrath of God is, is current. And here in Romans chapter 1 we find one of the most graphic, most comprehensive discussions, explanations of being abandoned by God. Anywhere to be found anywhere in the pages of Scripture. This text, I believe, explains the moral chaos, the moral confusion that we are experiencing in our nation. But this text also explains the moral chaos and confusion that is to be found in all our hearts. Now, first of all, in verse, verses 18 to 23, we will see the reasons for God's wrath. Verses 18 to 23, we'll see the reasons for God's wrath. And then in verses 24 to 32, we will see the results of God's wrath. So first, the reason for God's wrath. Well, the first reason for God's wrath is revelation. God has revealed himself to every person. So that, it says... Man is without excuse. God has done this first through nature. This is my Father's world. He has revealed Himself through His creation. And this is called, in theological terms, natural or general revelation. By observing nature, we can know that there is a God. And we can know some things about this God, about His nature and about His character. It is, I believe, perfectly reasonable and rational and logical that when we look at the order and the complexity and the beauty of nature, we can assume, we must assume, that there is a creator. And we can perceive by observing that creation that this creator is a person of integrity, a person of order, a person of rightness, a person of beauty, of power. If we use our God-given powers of observation and reason, then we will end up back at a creator. To deny a creator is unreasonable and illogical. Now, not as explicit, but implicitly implied here in the text is that God has also revealed himself, uh, not just through nature, but also through human conscience. It says here, although they, did, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. <clears throat> in verse 21, or going down into verse 32. Although they know God's decree, yet they do these things anyway. Now, how were people to know such a thing? How were they to know God? Well, the Bible is pretty clear that God has written this stuff on the hearts of men. Matter of fact, if you turn uh, back to chapter 2, the next chapter, and you see this in verses 14 and 15, that the Gentiles, it says, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires. When they do this, even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So God has revealed himself through the human conscience. Then, of course, we have the written and the written revelation of God as found in the Word of God. The scriptures, both Old and New Testament. And then we have, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us, in these last days, the revelation of God himself 
in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. This kind of revelation, both the written revelation that we find in the, in the Bible and the revelation of Christ in the incarnation that we celebrate this week, uh, these are called special revelation. This is uh, not general revelation, but very specific revelation of God. Now, in any case, God hasn't hidden himself. God hasn't hidden himself. God is a God who reveals himself. God is a God who, who makes himself known. He can be found. He can be known. He has revealed himself in many ways so that men are without excuse. And so because of this revelation and in light of this revelation, he judges his creation. And we, none of us, have an excuse. Now the second reason or the second issue that brings the wrath of God is rejection. Verse 21 says that even though they knew God, because of his revelation, they knew him. Even though they knew him, they, through their conscience, they knew him through the written law, they knew him through, through, the, through nature, yet they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But instead they become futile in their speculations, their ideologies, their concepts, their philosophies and theories, their viewpoints, their religions. They become empty. And their foolish heart is what? It's darkened. The lights go out. The lights go out because of rejection. There was God in creation. There was God in their conscience. There was God in revelation. And the path of reason would take them to him. But man loves darkness rather than light. And so he turns away from that knowledge, that wisdom, and he plunges into darkness. Listen to what Dr. Barnhouse wrote. God gave man brains to see things. These things, and the sorrowful answer is that God gave man brains, for example, to smelt iron and make a hammerhead and nails. And God grows a tree and gives man strength to cut it down and brains to fashion a hammer handle from its wood. And when man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hand and let man drive those nails through it and place them on a cross in the supreme demonstration that men reject God. Rejection. God gives the truth, and man turns away from the truth. And then they become futile, empty in their speculations, empty, useless, nothingness, and they get sucked into darkness. And the law of God no longer speaks. And the conscience no longer reacts. And reason is warped and twisted. And the lights go out. Rejection of the revelation of God. This is rejection in the worst kind of way. This is the kind of rejection that we see even now. This is the kind of rejection that we see even at this time of year. When people want to actively ignore the Jesus of the Incarnation. 
Now the third reason for the wrath of God is rationalization. First we have the revelation of God and people will not receive it. They act in rejection and then they defend that rejection in rationalization. Verse 22, listen to this. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We see this all around us in our world today. People claiming to be smart, people claiming to be wise, and yet when you examine their arguments, they are illogical and circular and foolish. And yet people flock to it like flies to honey. And then they use this popularity as proof that they are right. Look how many people we have. Look how many experts we have that are all saying this. Surely this many people thinking that I am right validates me, doesn't it? No, maybe it just proves how wrong you are. Because if man is at his heart unrighteous and wicked, then the more people you have on your side, chances are the worse it is. Remember, somewhere between 50 and 100 million people supported Adolf Hitler and his brutal actions in Nazi Germany. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people thinking something wrong, something wrong was right. And it took less than three years to convince them of this. The depraved human mind can rationalize almost anything once it has rejected the truth revealed by God. And so, they go from revelation to rejection to rationalization and thinking themselves wise, and now there's one more, one more reason for the wrath of God, and that is religion. You say, now wait a minute, I thought religion was man at his highest. No, it's man at his lowest. It's men in the muck. Verse 23. Look what it says. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. For an image of birds and crawling creatures and reptiles and even mortal man. What this is describing here is a false religion. God reveals himself. Man rejects that revelation. Man rationalizes that he is right instead of God. And then man recreates his own religion out of useless idols. Verse 25 follows the same line. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the, the worship of God and they serve instead the creature rather than the creator. This is religion. This is man creating his own gods. Verse 28, the beginning of verse 28 says the very same thing. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God any longer. They wanted gods of their own making. So now mark this down. Man does not ascend from the muck of paganism and ignorance to religion. No, he descends from the truth of God to the muck of false religion. This is man in the pit. This is man at the lowest. He falls from the truth of God to the slime of idolatry. Religion is not man at his highest. It is man at his lowest. Religion, false religion, is the ultimate insanity. Man rejects the God that is. Man rejects the God that is powerful and beautiful and orderly. 
And he creates non-gods that have no power and no beauty and no ability to bring order. And man worships them. This is crazy. We're reminded of this craziness in Isaiah chapter 40. And if you want to put your marker in your Bible there at Isaiah 40, we'll come back to it at the very end. But here's a few verses from the middle of Isaiah 40. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? You're going to liken an idol to God? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. And maybe he's a poor man, and he doesn't have money for gold and silver, so he chooses the best wood that's not going to rot, and he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. And then God says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? What, are you crazy? Are you going to compare a wooden statue to God? And then this religious person calls himself wise and and opens a theological school to teach about his non-gods. Now these, these idols come in various forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be in gold and silver and, and a, a carving of wood. Today, these idols come in people's rejection of the real meaning of Christmas and the substitution of materialism. A, a religion of consumption and the worship of stuff. These gods come in the, in the form of pornography. The images of mortal man. This, this idolatry comes in the form of worship of the creature in radical environmentalism. So whether you're worshiping the Roman eagle or the spotted owl or the golden bulls of Egypt or the whales and dolphins or the stuff that money can buy, whether you worship a stick or whether you worship the earth or the moon, whatever it is, you're subject to the wrath of God because you have rejected God. And so the wrath of God begins with revelation and proceeds because of man's rejection and rationalization, and finally, false religion. And God is right and just to exercise His wrath. Now just a side note here before we move on to the consequences of God's wrath, or the results of God's wrath. Some people would like to blame or accuse God because of His wrath. They want to say, surely a loving God couldn't, be a God that is a God of wrath. Surely a beautiful and good God would not condemn people to eternal torment or destruction. I want to say to those people, and and I want to say to you, if you're one of those people, you have already rejected God. You have already set up a false God. For if God is truly loving, if He is truly good and beautiful and right, then He must punish evil. He must exercise his wrath towards that which isn't good and true and beautiful. Because if he didn't, if he let stand these things that are evil, that are unrighteous, he would not be a God of truth and love. If somebody you love was brutally murdered or raped, and the person who did this horrible crime was not punished, if they were let go with with impunity, would you say that that was a loving result, a loving action? 
No. When people start using this argument against the wrath of God, they have already exchanged the truth and glory of God for a lie. They have declared themselves to be worthy of God's love, even though they have rejected Him. Now also, one more thing we must note about the wrath of God is that it's not just a punitive measure. The wrath of God is actually, in one sense at least, the mercy of God. The wrath of God is designed to turn us to God, to invite us back to the truth, to warn us so that we will not proceed further into rejection and rationalization and false religion. And so this wrath of God is really the mercy of God as long as we listen to the wisdom and knowledge of God. So let's look finally here at these results of wrath, the results of God's wrath. We'll see this three times. In verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28. And it begins this way in each case. For this reason, God gave them up. God gave them up. Gave them up literally means to abandon to let something go with, with no restraint. We see this happening in three steps or three stages. First of all, in verse 24, God abandons, God gives them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He just lets people do what they want. He lets them have what they desire. They want to serve their own pleasures and their own lusts, and God lets them. They want to do this because they value the creature more than the creator. They value their own desires, their own lusts, more than they value God and what he has said and what he wants. And the result of this is impurity. And we see this happening throughout history. We see this happening in cultures and societies and individuals. Most recently, we've seen this in our own country uh, with the sexual revolution of the 1950s and 60s. Now, of course, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And this, this sexual revolution, this impurity that we saw developing in our culture followed the rejection of the truth about God as a creator that happened in the late 1800s and early 1900s with the rise of Darwinism. But this also happens for individuals. When we reject the knowledge of God, when we are intent on our own desires and our own pleasures, we end up here. Sooner or later, we do end up here. Sometimes it ends catastrophically and publicly. Sometimes it remains hidden. But the penalty is shame and impurity. And it doesn't stop here. Verse 26, if we fail to heed God's warnings through natural, the natural consequences of shame and impurity, He gives us up again in verse 26. For this reason, it says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God abandons to perversion. This is even more unnatural and perverse than the impurities in verses 24 and 25. And this time the results are even more severe. The penalty, it says, is received in the body. Do you think that AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases are prevalent where God's law is respected and obeyed? No. 
Not at all. But when man insists on doing what he wants to do, the consequences are increasingly severe. In fact, I would say one of the ultimate consequences of homosexuality is the extinction of the human race. Without the natural procreation that God has designed, there are some hard limits to homosexuality. Homosexuals basically take themselves out of the gene pool by their rejection of God's revelation. They suffer the consequences. Again, we see this happening in our country. We, see it, we have seen it in other cultures throughout history. It isn't hard to predict. We shouldn't wonder why. Because, look, at, it's already happened. The sexual revolution, the rejection of the knowledge of God, this is what, this is what the result is when God gives them up. And once again, we see this happening with individuals as well. People progress from one kind of impurity to another unless the restraint of God is enacted on their lives. They will progress from one kind of devious perversion to another and it gets worse and worse and worse. But once again, God isn't done. His wrath of abandonment hasn't fully been realized. The third thing that God The third result of God's wrath is, in verse 28, God abandons to a mindless lawlessness. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge that God is right in His penalties and punishments, God once again abandons them. This time He abandons them to a kind of debased mind. Basically, losing the ability to think well or right about anything. Many of us decry today the loss of common sense in our society, the loss of reason in our world. We say things like, how could people be so stupid? Well, I'll tell you how they could be so stupid. Because God has given them up. God has given them over to a debased mind. This is the natural consequence of a continual rejection of the revelation of God. The end result is ruthless mindless lawlessness where men call good evil and evil good where every man does what is right in his own eyes it makes no sense at all the world becomes a chaotic place of case a place of evil and wickedness with no appeal to reason no appeal to law or conscience none of this will do anything to stop the debased mind none of this will do anything to stop the march towards oblivion Even people, it says, that know better, in verse 32, even people that know better don't seem to care. In fact, they give their approval to those who practice these things. They become complicit, even though they themselves might not actually participate. Once again, this is the consequence. This is the result of the wrath of God. First, he abandons to the lusts and desires of the heart. Then he abandons to the perversions of homosexuality. And finally, he abandons even the mind of the unrighteous person and unrighteous society. And the result is insanity. The result is a mindless, lawless existence full of all kinds of evil. Now, don't think, don't think that this won't happen to you. 
Those who have promoted the sexual revolution or the homosexual revolution are usually quick to say that if you were just loving and righteous, you would accept this behavior as normal and good. And they're quick to say that consenting adults that want to do these kinds of things are normal, rational people who are honorable and law-abiding. But you just wait. Well, actually, you don't have to wait. The wrath of God is already revealed and continues to be revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Does anybody still wonder why we are suffering from one of the highest rates of mental disorders and suicides ever recorded? Does anybody have to wonder why the world is filled with all manner of perversion and lawlessness? It is because of the wrath of God against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, who reject the truth, who rationalize this rejection, and who create false religion. The sexual sins and perversions and violence and all the other wickedness that we read about in our newspaper is not going to be the cause of God's judgment. It is the result of God's judgment. What we're seeing today is God's judgment. We are already subject to the wrath of God. This is what is being experienced right now. You know, too often we want to wring our hands and we want to point our fingers at the sin. And we want to blame that for the wrath of God. Instead, we should back up a few steps. And we should see that the wrath of God is being revealed because of the rejection of God. So in conclusion, how should we relate? How should we relate to those who are the recipients of God's wrath in these ways? How do we deal with this in ourselves? Well, we must go back to the beginning. If we're going to unravel or rewind this wrath of God, it begins by acknowledging and accepting the truth that God has revealed. Proverbs chapter 1 the part that wasn't read says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. We must begin by acknowledging and accepting the truth that God has revealed. This unraveling or rewinding of the wrath of God must proceed by the obedience of faith where we surrender to God's way instead of our own way. And this will result then in the righteous living by faith, as we saw in Romans 1.17. What we must be most concerned about, either with ourselves or with others, is not the homosexuality or the violence or the perversion or the decadence. What we must be most concerned about is the right response to the revelation of God. We must point people back to their Creator as the ultimate reality, we must realize that sin and perversion that we see all around us are in fact the results of God's wrath. They are the results of God's wrath because of an earlier rejection of God and His revelation. Sin is the natural consequence of the wrath of God. Sin is the outcome of rejection of God and His revelation. So if we have a sin problem, the problem is really at its heart a problem of belief or unbelief. So rather than simply rejecting people because of their sinful lifestyle, we must show them Jesus, who is the revelation, the ultimate revelation of God. 
rather than fighting our own battles with sin by, by simply dealing with it at the level of behavior, we must go deeper to the matters of belief and unbelief. Do you really believe that God is who He says He is? Are you willing to listen to Him, to obey Him, to His voice and His instructions? Are you going to follow Him? Are you going to trust Him? Or are you going to trust yourself? Are you going to do what seems right to you? This is the choice. This is the choice that we all must make. Again, we come back to the question of faith. And we see that only those who trust in God by faith will be righteous. Everywhere else, the wrath of God reigns and has its effect. The righteous shall live by faith. The unrighteous shall live under the wrath and judgment of God. But there is hope. There is a lot of hope. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I would invite you to stand as we read this text and as we close out our service. I'm going to read the first few verses and the last few verses of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might... He increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is our God. The God of wrath and judgment. The God who promises that if we will listen, if we will hear and obey, He will bless. There is hope. That hope is most clearly demonstrated in the coming of the Messiah. And as we celebrate His coming this week, let us be careful to not reject the revelation of God. 
nor rationalize our rejection, nor set up false religion, lest we too be subject to the wrathful abandonment of God against all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your revelation to us in nature, your revelation to us in our conscience, in the law written on our hearts. We thank you for your revelation to us in your word. And most particularly now we think of the revelation of yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we, we, we know that our heart's tendency is to reject, to rationalize, to, to set up idols in our own hearts. And we pray for your mercy and grace that you would intercede for us and in us, that you would bring us to repentance and faith, that you would bless us with righteousness. And Father God, we thank you also for your wrath, for your justice and judgment. Even though these things are hard, we thank you for your mercy in warning us. May we hear and not be like the unrighteousness, unrighteous and wicked men who, who continue to reject. But may we take from all of the bad things that are happening in our own lives and lives of our, our families and our cities and towns and country and our world, May we take from these the warnings that you have intended in your mercy. And may we turn to you and hear from you and listen and obey and repent in faith. So go with us as we leave from this place today and as we celebrate the incarnation of Christ this week. May you remind us once again of who you are. May you remind us of our need of you so that we might walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And go in peace.